better or worse, the relationship between science, film, and media has long been intertwined. We're here to dissect that relationship, turning it inside out for all to see. And throughout the years, one truth has revealed itself. You don't need good science to make a good movie. But it sure makes it better. Hi everyone and welcome to The Real Science Cast, the podcast where three highly qualified professionals pick a movie and then pick apart the science. I'm your 2020 New Year's baby, Kenan Smith. I am your 2020 extremely old man lying in a bed, Sean Crossan. <laughs> and I'm your 2020 unirrationally ang- angry boy, Michael Pace. Oh, Pace, we were doing a bit. Where we like pretend to be. Other What's people. the bit? Just fucking tell me. <laughs> did you you did watch the movie, right, Pace? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you remember the end of of the movie that we watched? Uh-huh. Yeah. We were we were different characters from that from time the movie way. from the yeah from the film. In the film, the movie was not set in 2020. It was set in 2001. Listen, to be fair, uh, last week, and by that I mean two days ago when we recorded the A Beautiful Mind episode, Pace and I both gave very good Star Wars references, and you were like, I'm Sean Crossan. <laughs> uh, that's because canonically I'm in the Star Wars universe, and I had no idea what the fuck you guys were referencing. Oh. Oh, okay. Do you? You're Sean Crossan, but there's like two apostrophes in your name. Yeah, I'm a Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Padashawn. <laughs> I'm your young Padashawn. <laughs> Are you guys talking about the baby in the bubble? Yes, we were talking about the baby in the bubble. Baby in the, the bubble. The yeah, baby in the bubble. Yeah, and the old uh, man. Wait, 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 wait. We should tell the listeners what movie we watched because this is going to sound like a, the ramblings of an insane person. It is. It's going to sound like we also wrote the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey that we watched this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We watched 2001 A Space Odyssey, the 1968 movie. I don't know if someone tried to remake (laughs) it, but I'm just saying that just in case. (laughs) It's a movie. It's a movie. That's when it came out. Who's in it, Sean? Um, fuck. Like, a spaceship. Who cares? They're all dead. There's... Well, okay. If we're talking about the star... Honestly, mm-hmm. it's like just space with stuff floating in it. Space, space uh, <laughs> is the star of this film. Yeah, space is the main character. Yeah, it was directed by Stanley Kubrick. Yes, go on. Sorry, my white claw was making me burp. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some of the cast members are Care Dula, who plays David Dulia. Bowman. Who is still alive, just for the record. Gary Lockwood, who is Frank. Uh, he's another astronaut. Mm-hmm. There's Robert... Is he alive, Kenan? Beatty. I don't have time to check on all of them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these actors are um, have passed away because this movie's very old. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so those are, the, those are the stars. And then I would say the other stars are uh, just a big uh, rectangular prism of rock. Mm-hmm. and uh, the baby in the bubble. Yeah, I would also say that a great number of the stars in this film are stars. Yeah, you mean like like balls of gas. Oh, oh man. <clears throat> All the stars have left the sky, for they are in this film, but also still in the sky. Yep, that was so, that was so beautiful. So this is a podcast where we watch a movie and we talk about the science in that movie. Yeah, sometimes we make terrible jokes. It was a very good joke. Both of you are just uncultured. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. But anyways, we watch movies. <laughs> we talk about the science. We watch 2001 A Space Odyssey. Let's that's fucking, correct. let's grip it and rip it, guys. I'm, I've got this white claw energy. I'm ready oh, yeah. to let's talk fucking, some science. Let's fucking grip shoes and rip shoes. I'm, I'm fucking here for this. Yeah. You know what we should probably do? What? We should, we should do the disclaimers. Well, when we when you oh. say we, I think this means that Pace should do our disclaimers, our disclaimer right, expert. Right, 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 yeah, right. Okay. Pace, so, we've been um, recording for about four minutes. I just want to tell you that. So keep that in mind as you're doing the disclaimers. <laughs> Listen, will. you can't you can't rush Pace for your fucking bad jokes, Kenan. Pace. You have to make up for all the time I wasted at the beginning <laughs> of this. Episode. Yeah, clearly this is this is nothing new. All the same of things that I'm used to doing for you as a human. 
Uh, oh, this is a podcast mm-hmm. where three, we are the three. We three kings. We three kings of of science and blood oh, are, are taking this podcast <laughs> to you. And we are going to talk not only about science, uh, we are also going to talk about it in a way that uh, is only for ear holes 18 and above. Although if you're like cool though, you can be like 13 or 14 probably you could, and you can listen. Yeah. Um, it probably, I mean, kids grow up fast these days. So if I, you're a cool preteen, you can still, yeah. Yeah. You can still hang. You can still be, you can still be chill. Um, and so just watch out for all those big science words and, uh, um, and the bad words. And then you can listen to our show. That explanation, um, Mm-hmm. Made about as much sense as the entire plot of 2001: Space Odyssey. I I completely agree. That's with you. a fair assessment. It also yeah. took only one minute, which I'm impressed with. That is pretty so. nice. Which un- fucking unlike 2001: Space Odyssey, <laughs> which is a three-hour yeah. film. Uh, yeah, I know we do content warnings sometimes. Uh, if you have anxiety about the slow passage of time, <laughs> don't fucking watch this movie. Yeah, if you if you don't want a lot of <laughs> time to just ponder yourself aging don't watch this movie if you often find yourself afraid that you'll blink and the best years of your life will have passed you by don't spend three hours watching 2001 a space odyssey (laughs) you'll regret it oh god instantaneously well on the on the bright side i feel like the plot was so minimal that it's not even going to be that bad for us to do so no 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 and i think we should roll some dice to figure out who's going to do the plot let's do it i got my d20 right here I would say the pace is exempt due to his uh, exemplary performance with uh, a beautiful mind. Thank you. Okay. All right. So it's you and me, toe to toe. It's you and me, bud. Let's do this. Oh God, damn it! I rolled a five. I rolled a nineteen. Yeah. That's <laughs> hey, <right. laughs> that's the worst you can get. That's the worst. All you right. Can get. Good luck, Kenan. Let's fucking do this. Grip it. All right. Rip Let's rip fucking it. do this. Let's fucking grip it and rip it. Turn it up and rip the knob off. Boo, 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 boo. Oh, wait, that's later. Sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. You sorry. can't do that. Come on. We're not in the ratings yet. Um, all right, so let's do this. 2001 A Space Odyssey. This film opens up with approximately 15 minutes of black screen and <laughs> classical music. We, yep. Okay, hold on. Before you do the plot, we have to tell the listeners that when we were talking about this ahead of time, all of us thought <laughs> that the fucking movie was broken. Like our TV yeah. wasn't pl- playing the was, image. Is the video feed not working? Because it's just music just for like there, 15 just minutes. music and it's completely Ugh. black for like a long mm-hmm. time. So. Which, okay. So if you look at this film through the lens of a play, which is how Stanley Kubrick intended it because it's a play in three acts, that makes sense because most plays open with the curtain still down and the orchestra warming up, playing initial music, and then once that move, like the first movement, seeds, then the curtains go up and the and the the play starts. Um, but uh, turns out when it's on a video format, it just looks like the the video is not working. Yeah, right. Like there should have just been like a tiny ball of light getting slightly larger mm-hmm. or something, you yeah, know, like yeah. just something so that I know my my TV's not turned off. The opening is pretty rad though because we do open up on uh, a vision of space uh, and the sun cresting planet Earth, and then immediately after that, it zooms down to the surface of the Earth where we see uh, a bunch of animals running around, uh, specifically in prehistoric Afri- uh, Africa. Where there are a several tribes, I guess we'll call them, of apes. Yes, hominids. Hominids cavorting about upon the planet's surface. Strangely, all of these uh, prehistoric humans, primates, are in the middle of the desert, which I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that's probably not where pre, like, prehistoric man was hanging out in yeah, Africa. Probably, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but either way, it makes for some scenic vistas. Uh, and these apes, after we see them like running around, we see that like one group of them has conflict with another group of them. Uh, one of these apes is visited by inspiration and picks up a bone, uh, and then starts beating the absolute shit out of a bunch of bones around him because earlier this ape had come in contact with a monolith left behind on planet earth by a species of spacefaring uh uh spacefaring beings called the firstborn who are responsible to encourage new species to develop and end issues before they get out of control within the universe stop none of this is in the movie (laughs) what are you 
This is all exactly what is happening in this film. <laughs> I don't know about that. There's Listen, literally I'm not sure about a that. floating monolith and some monkeys, and that is it. <laughs> that is all that happens in the movie. Well, that's how the that's how the monolith got there, though. It was left behind by the firstborn, and they're the intent <laughs> is, is to advance spec script for like the prequel. No, this is this is it. This is what happens in the film. For two thousand of Space Odyssey. <laughs> Listen, just let me finish, and then you can poke holes in, in my plot summary. I, okay. I have to do this cool. quickly. Okay. All right. mm-hmm. So, either way, and we're going to fly through a lot of this, basically, right? But this is uh, this is when man first discovers tools, okay? So, this monolith has somehow imbued him with the intelligence to start using tools. He uses that tool to immediately murder his fellow man, as any good human being would do. Um, <laughs> because, for whatever reason intelligence fills him with rage which i guess i kind of understand <laughs> it's not his fault though it's the monolith's fault it's the monolith's fault it's the fucking firstborn either way uh this scene ends when the ape leader i guess as he is now the leader of this group throws his bone into the air and then we immediately cut to a floating like missile like object in space looks like some sort of spaceship we see a couple of these sort of floating around apparently either in orbit or around the earth. And I think the year tells us it's now like 2000, 1999. I think like we're actually like in the, like the era. There's no like really huge jumps in time after this, uh, other than near the end of the film. So we're right around where human beings are theoretically traveling throughout space. They've, uh, they started to master space travel. Um, and we get this, character introduced to us who is a doctor i think his name is dr holloway hollywood it's paul hollywood is it paul hollywood <laughs> it is yeah. yeah correct okay yeah it was before his baking career really took he, off. he goes by pollywood actually so paul hollywood is uh Pollywood's. on this spaceship and he is headed to the moon mm-hmm. for secret reasons um i'm not going to talk about a lot of what happens because it's fucking boring but basically he's going to the moon under a secret like uh under under secret pretenses and we see paul hollywood doing all sorts of shit on the spaceship like interacting with a briefcase that's a laptop and a cell phone mixed together before either one of those things were invented uh there's a i guess a stewardess walking down the aisle while he's traveling wearing these grip shoes that keep her uh stuck to the ground in zero g um it's also during this part of the film where we see uh, a depiction of zero gravity that i really appreciated which was like only can be described as Muppet-esque movements of objects very clearly tied to strings. Yes. It yes. was pretty mm-hmm. good. It was pretty great. Uh, we'll talk about those grip shoes a little bit later and uh, some of these like newly invented technologies that Paul Hollywood interacts with. But long story short, Paul Hollywood makes, him, makes his way to the moon, uh, and there is this moon base that uh, everyone on like floating stations and on Earth has lost contact with a long time ago. But Paul Hollywood knows better and he shows up and he has uh, he meets with this committee of people of scientists. We're going to call them future NASA. uh, And they have found a monolith, another monolith that the firstborn uh, have left behind for them. Uh, And they refer to this thing as Tycho Magnetic Anomaly 1. I think they only say this once in the movie, TMA1, and they don't explain it at all. If they said it in the movie, then it was like just as like a a fuck you to the audience because they they don't say anything about that. Like literally (laughs) all you see is that they're just like, we found a thing. It's buried in the moon. We dug Mm -hmm. it up. You should look at it. it It's strange. (laughs) Come stare at it and go to bed. Apparently it was there for 4,000 years, right? Four million years. Four million, maybe. This is in the move, the part of the movie where we find out that the firstborn have left behind these monoliths for man to find, um, and so they go and they investigate this monolith uh, without any fear and with all curiosity. Uh, and as they touch it, and the sun peaks above the top of the monolith, it screams really loud in space, and, they and all, all of the like, astronauts go oh. fuck. Yeah, <laughs> but it screams in space towards Jupiter. Towards Jupiter specifically, right. and it's signaling a third monolith that is orbiting the Jupiter. So this, we have two signals here: one that man has advanced towards using tools; another that man has mastered space travel uh, and has now made it to the moon. So this third monolith, man now has to chase after in order to show that they've started to move beyond their own planet and into the stars. And that is when we move to Act Two of this film. 
Uh, I'm not going to go through all this, but there's basically this like long saga of these two astronauts who are traveling through the spaceship called Discovery towards Jupiter, towards where this uh, signal was released. I don't think they told the astronauts why they were traveling, if I remember correctly. No, they intentionally, no, it was like so. top secret. And the rest of the crew yeah. is in hibernation, like yep. cryo sleep. Mm-hmm. So. And there's some very, very good fake ice around the outside of the uh, all the little windows that are like, you can peek through mm-hmm. and see their faces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It looks like a Christmas decoration. Um, so anyway, these astronauts, uh, as they're going, are interacting with their uh, robotic friend, Hal 9000. Uh, who speaks very creepily the entire time uh, and made me very uncomfortable for most of the film. Hello, Kevin. Yeah, Would I did. Would you like to play a game of chess? <laughs> I did not. I did not like it. I did not like it at all. Don't uh, be afraid. I'm nope. your friendly robot, Hal 9000. Listen. I'm going to talk about how Hal dies now, okay? Okay. So, uh, Dave and his friend who's still awake, who we'll call Dave 2. Frank. Um, Dave 2 yeah, ends up Frank. dying. Uh, out in space because Dave and Dave too both get into this little pod you and they are talking Frank. to each other. Um, they're talking to each other about how like maybe Hal is malfunctioning and they may need to shut him down um, because Hal sent them out onto a mission that seemed like it was a big waste of time. And Hal can read lips because he has a robot eyeball. He sees what these boys are up to and he sends Dave too out into space uh, and then he kills him with uh, one of the little what do they call them pods. The yeah, little, the little fighting Irish pods. Yeah, the little pod boys who have arms that look like the fighting Irish mascot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. So basically, the robot's malfunctioning, and he knows the humans are suspicious of him, so he tries to fucking murder them. Yeah, and uh, the robot does this under the pretense that he's worried about the mission, and nothing can interfere with the mission. So uh, after Hal murders Dave too with the fighting Irish pod, uh, Dave... Uh, goes back out to retrieve his body and then Hal locks him out of the ship and they converse for about 45 minutes of the film until Dave decides to let himself back in and then navigate his way to the central control core and then turn off Hal with a screwdriver uh, in another scene that took about another 45 minutes. True. Uh, Kenan, I think a you know, like a theme of this movie is that every scene takes 45 minutes, including yeah, the scenes right. where nothing happens. I'll just I'll just start saying I just I'll stop saying it and we'll just assume that every scene takes that takes that. Amount okay. Of time. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, bring bring I, us home, Kenan. There's only a little bit left after this. Bring us home. Absolutely. So uh, in act three, uh, Dave has now in just when he is in Discovery One, he arrives at Jupiter's orbit. And then he finds the third monolith, which we'll call TMA2, uh, and enters it because this thing acts like a stargate or a wormhole. Uh, and it sucks him into, through time and space, in another 45-minute scene, uh, into an alternate dimension where we basically get a montage. It's implied to be a montage, but it's a very weird, like, visually jarring thing where Dave so is... So jarring. Dave is like... He sees himself across the room and then becomes that older version of himself and then sees himself again, becomes that older version of himself. But it's supposed to imply a montage that basically like Dave spent all of this time in this alternate dimension, which is like somehow a mashed together version of a Star Wars set and a Victorian era bedroom <laughs> yeah. uh, where yeah, he is uh-huh. observed by the firstborns. Uh, after that, Dave makes it through his last test. And man advances beyond age, and he is able to see the last monolith, which appears inside this three-dimensional realm, inside the fifth dimension. He then enters that and becomes a giant baby, and he is reborn uh, as man's next step in evolution uh, and appears as a giant baby beside the Earth. And that's the end of the film. And to be honest, listeners, Kenan is getting a lot of this summary from an online uh, plot summary, and half of the shit that he's saying, they don't tell you in the movie. <laughs> it's not I think apparent. That, I think the important thing is the movie very succinctly tells us that if at each one of these steps, man creates tool. He uses the bone. He uses tool to kill his fellow man. He then creates another tool that transforms into man. Man makes a robot. It turns into how. That is now man. Man is now Whoa. a tool of Hal. Hal oh, explains to him that they're just killed. And then oh man has to destroy the tool that is Hal, and he destroys that tool with a tool, which is a screwdriver. So we start out with the simplest of tools, Great. a bone used to murder a, a, another ape, 
and we end with a simple tool, a simple screw and then screwdriver. Cut to black. Tool starts playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim the Tool Man Taylor is there. Ouroboros. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Nice. So as crazy as that. I, I promise you, listeners, I know that sounded a little disjointed. It's not Kevin's fault. That's just the way the movie is. <laughs> That's literally how the film went. It was a lot. <laughs> it's regarded as a classic. It's regarded as a classic film. Well, also keep in mind... And highly praised. Like, this movie was made in 1968. Like, there's it was. a lot about this film that is... Impressive for that time period. The camera work is good. Like, compare this to the effects in Logan's Run, which we also watched for the podcast, which probably came out right, uh, right, right. either same time or later, but similar time, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, Logan's saying, Run effects were fucking awful. They were not great. I, I guess what I'm saying is that this it's important that we understand why this movie is regarded as a classic, and I would say it's probably because of a lot of the technical aspects of its generation, uh, not of the gen- like time generation, like the actual manifestation and creation of the film mm-hmm. like the, the technical aspects of that were impressive but from a story and plot aspect um you need to you need to be in a in a state of mind that is uh open you should get to, high before you watch this film you should get high and watch the movie <laughs> you should do drugs and then watch this film yeah yeah because clearly the people who wrote it yeah. also were on drugs we're so not advocating that. for drug use, but Sean said you should get really high and then watch this movie. Whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, I heard him, whoa, I heard him whoa, say whoa. it. Yeah, I, I also heard him say it. And we have Don't it drag record, my name through so. the dirt, Kenneth. I, I would never. <laughs> I do want to tell you that I did play a drinking game while uh, watching this movie. And I can tell you, I will be very brief, but I can tell you what some of the rules were if you'd like to hear them. I mean, I would love, yeah, to, I would hear love it, to hear of it, of course. Okay, one, of, one good one is take a drink every time a character eats or drinks. <laughs> oh my god i forgot about the liquid food they there's a lot of eating straws. and drinking in this movie <laughs> here is the biggest the biggest source of my intoxication uh take a drink for every two minutes of running time that passed without any dialogue <laughs> yeah the whole uh-huh. fucking movie that's the there's, whole movie yeah there's probably <laughs> about 45 minutes maybe of dialogue in this movie and it's and two, two and hours hour and 45 minutes long Here's some good ones. I'm going to read these rapid fire, okay? Uh, take a drink when you see Hal's eye, a monolith, the sun or the moon, or a sleeping crew member. Wow. <laughs> but they're in cryo sleep. They're always yep. sleeping. And then this one's good, too. And I'll do this last. Take a drink when someone says Hal, bass, Dave, or computer. Oh. I mean, this, this is a cruel drinking game. It's yeah. more of just drink throughout the film just keep drinking why don't you just keep drinking hey have you are you drinking yet are you drinking yet keep drinking it's definitely drunk at the end of this movie you yep. basically mm-hmm. have like two minutes during the first part of the scene of just like nothing happening to be like oh okay i get to take a break before i have to start chugging my drink so i just finished a beer like at the beginning of the movie before we even I saw like i mean we so we did count the apes communicating with one another as dialogue because otherwise I would have died. I mean, you should. Otherwise, there's <laughs> yeah. ten minutes of dialogue in this movie. I mean, come on. <laughs> All right, guys, we got to talk about the science. We're a science podcast. Let's do it. Let's do some science. Kevin, you talked- your hair looks like an anime character right now. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> you told me well, before we started recording that you wanted to talk about those grip shoes. So I need to hear some rhetoric about those grip Let's shoes. Let's talk about the grip shoes. Okay, in the spaceship. There is no artificial gravity, which I might point out is kind of interesting uh, the way they, like, because of the way they depict the space station. So, those mm-hmm, of you who are fans mm-hmm. of the show might notice that every time we do a space movie, the space station or ship that they're in is always spinning. And the spinning creates centripetal force, which is used to make artificial gravity on their ship. Right. In this movie, the space station is also spinning. Which looks like, oh yeah, this is like a way that they're rationalizing making artificial gravity. But there's actually no artificial gravity on the ship at all. <laughs> it's just fucking spinning. <laughs> it's just spinning. So, um, but it looks like they do have a form of artificial gravity. But really what it is, is they have these shoes where they z- there's literally a scene where it zooms in on those, this woman's shoe. And it just says, grip shoes. And she's grip just shoes. walking down the hallway of what looks like an air- airplane. <laughs> Um, and I want to talk about these shoes. 
I I would say for starters uh, that this might be one of the most accurate things in the film. And I'm not talking about from a scientific standpoint. I'm talking about the fact that it definitely looks like something that an airline would issue someone because it's <laughs> yeah. completely plain and it just says grip shoes on the side of it. Yeah. It doesn't say like Adidas. Yeah, just grip <laughs> shoes. It might as well just say like fucking come with a Biscoff cookie from fucking American or something. <laughs> Delta, but, Delta, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, American does the cookie. We're it's not the, doing it's this. The Tell better, me about the better shoes. airline, though. So. Grip shoes, oh, go. Okay. So, um, we were tr- trying to talk about what these shoes might be like. And, of course, the first thought we had is like, okay, maybe there's something like sort of Velcro, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're sticky but detachable from the substance you're walking on. But the problem with that is the way it's depicted in the movie is that people don't... It looks like when they're wearing the shoes, they are just under artificial gravity. Mm-hmm. Because... If you were detaching and reattaching your foot to Velcro in zero G, like as soon as when you're pulling your foot up, as soon as your foot releases from the Velcro, like you're going to kind of walk a little weird, you know, because there's no gravity Mm -hmm. pulling back down on your foot once it's released. It's not like a constant force. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but like in order to like pull their feet off behind them, they would have to be pushing up. So if these did work like Velcro, they would be constantly pushing with their back foot and pulling with their front foot to try and stay like gripped to the surface. And more than one of these stewardesses would just fly off into the air. Yeah, for sure. I would think so. Yeah, we'd lose a few stewardesses in the whole process. We would. Yeah, to the, would. the vacuum of space, probably. Or at least they'll be on the ceiling. Yeah, so that kind of led me to think, I was like, okay, well, are these shoes like some sort of, is this like a magnetic thing? You know, mm. it's just like a magnetic field ah. that's sort of like applying mm-hmm. artificial gravity. See, the, the problem is like it's only being applied to their feet. So you would expect the rest of their body to be behaving like it's in artificial gravity. You know, like the reason when you <laughs> walk, your arms are down by your side is because they're just there because of gravity. Like it takes some some training to think about like what you're doing with the rest of your body in artificial gravity. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I was kind of confused about what the grip shoes were. But another aspect of the artificial gravity is all of the passengers on this space airline are sitting in chairs, just like mm-hmm. regular airline chairs. But when you like take a nap in artificial gravity in space, you have to lock yourself down or you're going to like yeah. move because like your arms will float, like your head will move, your feet will lift up because there's literally no force holding you down yeah and they kind of try and show this like i think there is a scene where the one guy's taking a nap in a chair and his arms are just rising up off the table yeah it's it's very like the while they're trying to depict that realistically the setup for what the airline looks like is not realistic to what would be happening in an artificial environment, you know? Yeah, I agree. Also, I would say that, so the first scene that we see this happening where uh, he is indeed sitting on this flight, he is, like as you say, he is in a chair, which, and I don't know if the, the people who made this movie thought this through in this way, but the fact that there existed, there are chairs on this flight implies that this ship goes somewhere with gravity. Because if you are constantly yep. in zero G, there is zero reason for you to sit in a chair. You can literally get into a ship and just like lay flat against a board and strap yourself down and you're done. Like you could just yeah. buckle yourself to a thing. You don't have to be seated. There's literally no reason to be seated. Right. Yeah. What are you, you going to relieve some strain on your joints? Like, Yeah, exactly. I need to sit on the softest part of my body just yeah. in case. <laughs> like I feel like the one thing it did is convey that it's like an airline kind of. I mean, that mm. was basically it just by making it look like an airline. That is true. Also, we can always fall back on this movie was made in 1968. Sure. Sure can. That's an easy one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's Um, worth mentioning that, like, while we're on that point, too, that, uh, again, as we said 18 times, this movie was made in 1968. Uh, We should think about the fact that the first moon landing was not until uh, 1969, the following year. No one had walked in a reduced, a naturally induced reduced gravity setting. Right. Ever. Yeah, and so, I mean, we did have information on zero-G at that point, but you are correct. Uh, The first man in orbit 
was a member of the Soviet Air Force, Yuri Gagarin. I'm going to pretend like I said his name right. Uh, but in April, April 12th, 1961, uh, this was the first person to enter Earth's orbit. Wow. I, so, I mean, I think, honestly, the reason we're talking about this scene a lot is this scene of the, uh, whoever the guy is, the Dr. Holiday, or sorry, what did you call him, Kevin? Paul Hollywood. Paul Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, flying Hollywood. on this, like, airliner spaceship to the moon. The reason mm-hmm. we're talking about the scene so much is this is, like, one of the main scenes where there's actually, like, a bunch of technology debuted. So, like, he also calls his, um, calls his daughter from space. Um, yeah, he FaceTimes his daughter. He FaceTimes his daughter, which, like, FaceTime hadn't really been invented yet, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's pretty cool. Like, it's a video call. There also would definitely be a delay in the signal from... Oh, 100%. ...from space. So, like, <laughs> yep, you would expect yep, yep. a pre-recorded message, not an actual live phone call, because there's a delay from the radio signal leaving the spaceship. Yeah, um, and, and you, you bring up another good point, too, that, like... There are a couple times in this movie where we see computers that are of this size. And during the filming of this movie, uh, Stanley Kubrick actually linked up with IBM in order to try. And one, he wanted to help uh, wanted IBM to help him design like an artificial intelligence that could exist on the uh, could exist on the discovery. But also he did consultation for computers. And at the time, personal computers didn't exist. The first available personal computer was made in 1971. So most computers that were available around this time would have been computers that take up an entire room or the, a computer mm-hmm, that you would have been mm-hmm. inside, hence the development of how. But this piece of equipment that he uses to FaceTime his daughter, SpaceTime his daughter, it was just sitting there. I don't know why we didn't say that. Um, SpaceTime. You can edit that in, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, just, I'll go back and I'll just put it back in. But this was definitely a smaller computer. I think the first laptop was made in like 1971 or something. And we see one of these in this movie as well. Yeah. It, so it is pretty cool. Like some of the stuff, they really are ahead of their time with it. But there are some things that we know now. Just I mean, like, you know, there's going to be a radio delay from space. It's just really far away. So mm-hmm. it takes time for the signal to reach Earth, even moving at um, the speed of, you know, light. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's also one more scene that we have to talk about because I'm curious about what you guys think is going on here. All of the... Kenny, you talked about the food and drinks that they have on this uh, this airliner. (laughs) There's literally a scene where Paul Hollywood is just, like, sitting in a chair holding what looks like a tray of probably, like... I want to say it's like 10 boxes, like two by five of At just least boxes yes. with yeah. straws sticking out of them, right? Well, did you see that they have like little depictions of food on the front of them? Oh, they did do. they? Peas, yeah. carrots, yeah. squash. Yeah, they had like little cartoons that made them look like little boxes of baby oh food that he God. was just eating he's out just, of. He's just drinking them, like sampling Slurpy, them. slurp, slurp. It's so wild. That's another good example, uh, which is funny for a different reason, um, but... When they're when he's at the moon base and they're going to where uh, TMA one is, um, they are traveling in a shuttle and there's three of the scientists that are in there and one of them opens up a box and goes, "You want anything to eat?" And they're like, "What's in it?" And he goes, "Anything you could want." And one of them's like, "I'll have a ham sandwich." Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, people didn't have diverse palates in the 1960s. <laughs> I guess. Okay? Well, and he's also, I think one of them, he's like, what is this chicken? He's like, ah, it all tastes the same anyways. The other guy goes, do you got any ham? (laughs) What? I'll have more of the fake chicken, please. I also love some of the technology depictions in this movie are pretty futuristic. And I love that everybody still speaks like it's the fucking like the 50s or something like they're like oh you telephone your mother while you tell her i called and stuff and you're like okay oh awesome. that was one of the most visceral just cringeworthy parts of the film it really yes. was mm-hmm. he, he also when he calls his daughter is like where's your mom and she's like she's not here and he's like oh who's watching you and she's like she says a name and i don't think he recognizes the person <laughs> he's, he's just like, like okay <laughs> okay yeah, and he's like, tell your mom a telephone, will ya? And it's just very, like... <laughs> Such a good dad. Oh, Such man. a good dad. Ugh. He's like, have a nice Shit. birthday. I sent a gift. <laughs> have a good time. <laughs> I hate that voice. Another science thing, guys, that I realized. Mm-hmm. The monolith on the moon lets out a sound. Yeah, yeah and they all it sure does. 
cringe and pain from the high shriek coming from this monolith. Mm-hmm. Does that does that mm-hmm. strike you as as scientifically inaccurate? That there it, was sound in space. Yeah, there was sound in space. Yeah, that's a, a bit odd. Right. right, and it's because so one sound is compressed uh, airwaves, basically going into your ear um, mm-hmm. and vibrating your ear cells and your brain is detecting that as sound right there is no air in space so you can't make sound because there is no there's no particles to compress that's empty space so you wouldn't get a sound so alternatively when i was reading the plot summary of this movie just to get a fucking shred of closure on what the hell happened (laughs) this entire thing This scene with the monolith says that the monolith releases a radio signal. And I was like, okay, well, that's also a problem because you can't hear radio waves. Like, there are radio waves uh, all around us all the time, right? You can't just Mm -hmm. hear radio waves bouncing around. So you wouldn't (laughs) recoil from a radio wave. It just doesn't make any sense. So they would, like, not be able to hear a sound coming out of this thing. Unless... It is some sort of weird alien technology thing. Which we can always be hand-wavy about and just say it was, but... Yeah, which I think we have a question about, which so we can cover that a little bit later, too. Do you guys have any glaring science things you want to talk about? I mean, I know we got to talk about how, of course. Yeah, I mean, I had one kind of cool thing that that was in the movie, uh, that like about how the movie was made that was kind of science-adjacent. Ooh, science-adjacent. Perfect. Yeah. My favorite kind of science. One thing that was kind of cool uh, in the film is that there are screens on everything, right? That provide readouts and uh, visual displays, basically, for all the astronauts in the film. Yep. Well, in 1968, uh, this was this ranged from a, a rarity, an absolute rarity, to not at all existing. There weren't any sort of hmm. high, like high resolution, quote unquote, high resolution. Uh, there weren't even low resolution displays <laughs> back in 1968. Um, right. it, if it gives you a reference, uh, as as far as computer graphics go, Pong came out in 1972. Right. Um, at this point, only yeah, uh, oscilloscope type instruments had a visual display, and these are things like whenever you see like a radar blip uh, in war movies, that's this. It basically looks like that on an oscilloscope. Um, so what they actually did for this film is they took a bunch of glass. Uh, and made screens out of that, like just literally put glass up and then slid high resolution uh, photo negatives behind each of the the monitors. And that's how they produced all of these individual displays. So none of them obviously are real. (laughs) Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, it's actually really neat because you can't, I mean, you can't tell. They're all like low resolution anyway, but it looks really good. Right, right. It does, yeah. There's another example of one of the, some of those technological advancements, I mm-hmm. suppose, or, or a, a prediction yeah. elements. Well, so, uh, again, talking about technology and how when this movie was made, a lot of the stuff didn't exist, we should definitely talk about how, right? Yeah, we have to talk about how. We do. So, Pace, do you have anything to say about how? Do you want to... Pace, talk to us about how. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, the level of... So, I think... <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, it was a slow um, burn. <laughs> nice yeah, joke grenade. That, was a, that really just took a while to just, it just rolled over me yeah. just <laughs> joke slowly. Grenade. Yeah, that was, it was a joke stink it. bomb. What was a gas? Yeah, that was a gas. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, so Hal is a supercomputer. Um, and I think the unique thing about Hal is that he's essentially, according to the astronauts, he's in, indistinguishable from, um, from, humans they they treat him as another crew member essentially like the level of artificial intelligence that he has right uh and they one of the main actually talking points is that he um is they ask the crew members do you think that hal has emotions and they're like well you know he seems to have emotions uh but none of us really ever know the answer to that question and so i think that Hal, the existence of hal is is interesting because it it brings up the topic of the questionable existence of, 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 of robots of that level of intelligence in the first place. Right. So, yeah. So the, I, the concept of artificial intelligence probably seems a lot more like present now than it did in the sixties. Right. Like I'm sure people thought this was a futuristic thing that could Mm -hmm. happen. Mm -hmm. Um, but he really is supposed to be indistinguishable. I mean, he definitely speaks more, uh, 
less nuanced robotic. than a human, I would say, more robotic, mm-hmm. but he is a robot. But it, he's also regarded as conscious, I think, in the film as well, right? Right. Um, and so I think that I think that that also doubles down on the moral quandary of of. And we kind of talked about this in, in our, our um, uh, ex machina episode as well. The sort yeah, of moral quandary that comes into play if you are creating a in any being. I think you move beyond what its components are. If any being is is is, is conscious, then it's 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 interesting. And therefore, I think it's also an ethical concern to to for that conscious being um, that has apparent emotions to be <laughs> to be the soul. Um, controller and um, the lord over all of their ship, right? Of their vessel. Yeah, it is interesting that, like, they have a crew, but they also, like, Hal has complete control over all of the ship's functions. It's kind of wild yeah. to be like mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think also, like, if we give ourselves uh, context as well, during this time, artificial intelligence was basically up to the point of mathematics. Um, I think in uh, in the year yeah in the year 1968, a guy at M- uh, MIT uh, made a robot that could play chess uh, up to the point of achieving a Class C rating. But other than that, other than like very base level problem solving, AI of this magnitude obviously didn't exist. So right, no, it still doesn't exist. Yeah, it didn't in 2001. So <laughs> yeah, definitely not in 2001. No. Also, to bring it full circle, I was just reminded. So, the whole scene when uh, Dave is dismantling Hal, it's done in zero G. He's floating around uh, in, like, the motherboard room of the mm-hmm, ship, mm-hmm. just pulling out memory chips or something from Hal. Yeah, I, um, that's, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was kind of abstract. He's just pulling out <laughs> disks of RAM. Just like, like all of his cores. <laughs> they, were, they were all of his cores. No, yeah. he, has to, he has to push on them. They were all floppy disks. They were all just coming out. <laughs> right. But, um, but there's also other scenes in the ship that are not in Zero G. And I realized that, so the first scene in that ship, uh, Dave is running laps around like a room that looks like a gym and i realized he's wearing grippy shoes and grippy shoes if they're really velcro you would not be able to run in them like there's no way that's true yeah there's no way so like they're treating these shoes like they are generating an artificial gravity sphere yeah they're just a get out of jail free card for gravity (laughs) yeah so that's just a little you know i like to poke at the minutiae of the science and i think that's pretty minute (laughs) yeah it is i like that yeah Mm -hmm. do you guys have any more Mm -hmm. science you want to talk about this movie dude i'm fucking out of science in this movie this movie was wild (laughs) but there honestly wasn't much like science other than predictive technology yeah this was pretty it's a this was a tough one to do let's let's be honest this was a tough one to do because there's just not only was there no science there was also very limited plot so it's kind of we can't really take our you know our brand of covering the science of (laughs) movies with no science (laughs) yeah agreed agreed i uh I can tell you that the scene where they shut down Hal was very disturbing to me. Um, it all happened. I as was going like, to mention that slowly spoken slow motion, and he sings the song Daisy Bell at the very end, and I thought I was losing my goddamn mm-hmm. mind. <laughs> yeah, I think that was meant to be a moment to really sort of like make you to, to really make you question what you were experiencing, and, yeah. and the well, it, it was it was designed to make you question the, uh, the 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 termination or disconnection of a. Of of a you know, life form. a being that sure. uh, yeah a sentient life a being that you up until this point thought as as something that was not worth empathizing and then it suddenly became worth empathizing yeah right? even though he did just straight up murder five people so he did he's kind of a dick isn't he yeah, yeah he that's did. the problem All with giving robots power sleeping and he was like you're dead life support yep, terminated Ugh. yep so rude so fucking rude robots. honestly hey I got a question. Why yeah. do you include a life support termination uh, function in your, in your computer? <laughs> like, why is that a thing? <laughs> yeah. Why does Hal, an artificial intelligence, have the ability to murder everyone on board? To murder humans? Yeah, that's a good yeah, question. It seems like that should not be a built-in sort of function of Hal. 
Yeah. Hey, uh, people of the future, I know you're listening to our podcast because by now we are famous. Uh, but, oh, yeah. <laughs> but just in general, if you ever feel compelled to say, oh, well, none of these robots with their own intelligence have ever malfunctioned before as a justification, there's a problem. Like every movie where that happens, the robot murders everyone. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because robots only mm-hmm. have, like, they go from fucking zero to ten. Like, they're either, like, your friendly helping yeah. robot or they're fucking killing machines. Like, that's it. There's <laughs> never, like, a morally ambiguous <laughs> robot. They're always just like, oh, I'm going to kill all of you now. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Exactly. Perfect. Uh, I'm out of sight on that note, this one. I think, I think it's time to rate this bad boy. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Face, you go first. What a perfect uh, segue. I would say for the science of this film, oh boy, that's a that's a tough one, isn't it? That's a real 10. tough one. I feel like to be really I, accurate, we should probably just not say anything for the next 10 minutes, but still put it in the podcast for the audience to listen to. <laughs> We're doing so good on time. Don't make me do that. It's a good joke. Yeah. I hate it. Um, I'm going to give the science a 2 out of 10. That's primarily driven not by any sort of science in the film, but by the predictive technological aspects of the film. Yeah, um, that's fair. And I, that's, but that's, that's it. But, but I also, I mean, it, it's clear that they, there was effort put into portraying what the future was going to look like. And, uh, you know, sometimes effort is worth an increased rating. For sure. Um, for the entertainment, oh, I, I, I watched it, and for the whole two and a half hours, I, I didn't want to look away. So there was that, like, I wanted to keep watching this, but at the end of it, I still felt like that was one of the worst ways that I could have ever spent two and a half hours. <laughs> um, so, so I guess, I guess that's like, I guess that's another two. That's another two out of five mm-hmm. because. Just because something is grotesque doesn't mean you want to experience it. This movie's an Unless enigma. Unless you are into mm-hmm. that. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's an enigma. It traps you in its siren song. It does. Yeah. It, it, it's. I mean, it was going to be somewhere along the middle, but I went towards the towards the lower end of the scale because at the, at the end of the mm-hmm. day, the movie didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, closer to the ass of the rating scale. <laughs> yeah, correct. I like to stay close to the ass. Okay. Um, science. <laughs> I am gonna agree, I'm gonna agree with Pace on this. Like, yes, they do a really, really good. Okay, how about this? I'm gonna give them a third rating category, and that's that's Future Sight. The magic They're gonna set? get an eight out of ten on Future Sight because I think they did a pretty wow, good job. Okay, depicting what's going on in the future. We just broke our rating scale. We don't. We we have never based a movie about on this on this criteria before. So well, we've never right. spent two and a half hours. You're gonna ruin our metrics. A fucking ship float through yeah. space. It's also a that's new year, true. baby. We yeah. can we can this can be the one time we do this, and that's all right. Also, all as right. leader okay. of the podcast, I feel like I can oh, do whatever yeah. I want. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry, Captain Kenna just Kenna just collapsed in a fit of rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was just thinking about editing the second podcast of the week. So, <laughs> okay, as a podcast underling, I'm gonna still no, give no, it an no. eight we're, out of ten. We're all co-hosts. Here. Okay, we're co-hosts. So, I, I'm gonna give it a future site eight out of ten for science. I'm gonna go two out of ten with pace. Like it's yeah, I feel there that. are some things that I think are. I think the predictive nature of the space travel is cool enough that it gets them a science point, but there's also a lot of stuff that's just, it's not really accurate science. It's very science fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And then entertainment? Uh, Okay, I'm going to give this a qualifier. If you're really into, like, movies and films, stuff like that, you're going to think this is a fucking 10 out of 10. Because, like, if you really like camera shit and, like, filmography... It's a, yeah. it's really cool. If you're looking for a thrilling tale, I'm gonna give it a five out of ten. Mm-hmm. So I think the interactions with Dave and Hal are really intense the whole time, and I'm like really drawn to it, and it's done very well. But there's so many just colors and shit floating through space that it kind of detracts from the overall movie. Well, there's there's probably only about ten minutes of them of them at, like interacting in general. Right. So. Yeah. It is very brief. Like it's it's disjointed. Agreed. 
I'm going to give this film, uh, as far as the science goes, I'm going to rate it as though it's 1968, um, which I think might change the ratings a little bit. And I'm going to get a, a two out of five because none of these things existed in 1968. Um, <laughs> You're like, this is, this is all fake. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Future bullshit. Uh, but as far as the uh, entertainment goes, um, I'm going to just, I'm going to bias myself based like exactly the way that Sean put this forth. And I'm going to say that you should watch this film. You like you, you should see this film. I wouldn't watch it by yourself because you're going to be bored out of your fucking skull, but you should at least see it. So watch it with some friends, have a couple beers, and I'm going to give this movie a five out of five because it did a fuckload for the time that it was in. And I have to appreciate that or else uh, everything about me just collapses around me. So, uh, yeah, I I really like this movie, but I will never, ever watch it again. I think there's also like a huge disclaimer for the audience to all of our ratings is that we had to watch this on a weeknight by ourselves because we needed to record a podcast Mm -hmm. on it. And that definitely like takes away from the experience of like, I'm just going to enjoy a weird film classic. Like, yeah, and hang yeah. out with friends and watch this movie. Yeah. So, Agreed. so you might like it a lot more if you're just relaxing and watching a movie. Some people will hate this film, but I am recommending that you watch it for show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yo, yo, All yo. Right, so, so questions, right? It's the question time, isn't it? Question time. Question monsters here. Gotta feed him. I'm the question monster. Gotta love me. I have a question from Twitter. If you want to dig into that, I sure would pace. love to hear a Twitter question, Pace. Okay, cool. Um, this one comes from uh, D and DeGraw at Abnormal Mormon on Twitter. Curtis Ryan DeGraw, friend of the show. Thank you for your question. Thanks, Mormon. Regarding evolution and space, mm-hmm. if we did manage to establish an interplanetary colony, how long would it take to start seeing evolutionary differences in the offspring born and or living on said colony? Oh, yeah, this is some... It's a good question. Yeah, this is some expanse shit, and I'm into it's it. It's a good question. I, I have a quick thing I'll say. Yes, please. You you can't... People always think about evolution in terms of wide, expansive event. You know, we, we think about it on the macro scale, right? Of just over of over millions of years, hundreds of thousands, millions of years. Sure. Uh, to, to where we go from, you know, prehistoric, you know, apes that evolved into humans but you know the the on the micro level evolution can be observed over a period of just sometimes even decades what it's dependent upon is the how is how quick new generations of the being you are interested in come to pass right because that's how soon genetic changes can be selected for. For example, I mean, a classic example is in, especially in regards to Charles Darwin's sort of ventures to the Galapagos Islands are the the finches that were there. Uh, They had like different beaks and specialized beaks for eating certain types of food based upon just being in small little pockets on the island that were sometimes just miles apart. Um, And I, I wouldn't, I mean, it would probably only take you know, hundreds of thousands of years to for for that to happen, those types right. of changes to be observable. So, with humans, though, a pretty long generation time, uh, you know, sixty to a hundred years, um, it it would take a minute, right? Yeah, I mean, I would. Yeah, I, I sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was gonna ex- no, no, expand okay. on that because I actually pulled some info up on this, but um, I I it's documented that. Homo sapiens first appears in the fossil record 195,000 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. So I, 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 it, with exactly what you said, it has a lot to do with selective pressure that exists there, right? Um, I don't know how to quantify the selective pressure that humans experience on Earth versus how we would experience that on different planets. Um, but I think the time scale of mil- more than 100 million, uh, sorry, 100,000 years is definitely the case. Well, it also de- I agree. it also depends like what the extent of the selective pressure is, sure. because like if you're talking about real evolution, it's going to be hundreds of thousands of years. But if you're talking about yeah. like differences between the people that live on the moon and the people that live on Earth, like mm-hmm. you're going to see differences based on the environment. Like if people are living in reduced gravity, that causes physiological changes to the human body. It's true. So that's yep, like true. a thing that you will just see 
from people living their entire lives on the moon. But that's not like an evolutionary change. That's just like an environmental factor of their envi- of like the place they exist, you know. But I think like uh, changes in the human body like that, there are things that I, there's, I'm trying to say this in the most vacuous way possible because there's so many moving parts for it. But like someone who is living on the moon for their entire life and experiences different gravity um, would be given, as you say, something that's like a drastic selective pressure for something. But then it would need pressure to select against that. So... Either they end up with like, let's say the person, like everyone on the moon is eight feet tall, right? So the ability to not need to be eight feet tall or to not grow eight feet tall is not needed. But also you could take one of those people and then put them on earth and they haven't had that ability or the the way the body forms ever selected against while on the moon, right? So they still retain that ability to go through that type of growth yeah but right? like something like changes like that would that would just take like hundreds of thousands of years for sure like another yeah. good example of what i'm trying to get across is uh the hip bone in whales modern whales have a vestigial bone uh contained within their bodies that is basically a hip and part of a leg uh, i think there's there are specific species that have this and others don't but it's still there because there's literally no reason for the whales to get rid of it because it doesn't do anything. Like it's, it has not been a scenario where it requires enough energy for them not to form this thing, but also, right. right, There's no reason for them to have like lost it completely. So most of them still grow it. And I, I think there's one more point I want to make on this topic is that it's, it's not, it's not just time that matters. It's also the available gene pool and, and by that, I, I mean how much actual diversity exists in the population that you are considering. Because in order for there to be evolutionary changes, there needs to be... It's, it's still facilitated by there being a high level of diversity in your population. Like, yes, random genetic mutations can lead to evolution, but that's just one factor. You also, it's also going... The process will also be accelerated if you have a large base of different traits and characteristics to pull from within the population that you are working with. Yeah, that's a really good point, Pace, because things like genetic yeah. drift can be like more prevalent in a small population like that. Exactly. Which is really, yeah. genetic drift is just like the tendency of a gene to be selected for or against, or an allele to be selected for or against just based on like random chance and the prevalence of it in a small group. So Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So are we are we biologists or what? Fuck, we got some science. I can't into tell, this one, boys. We did it, man. Oh god, we did some science. Oh, yeah. I said genetic drift. That's good, right? You did. You also said allele again. <laughs> you know that's that's been featured on the show a couple times. Yeah. So do we have any other questions? Not on Twitter. No. Okay. Well, we definitely have one Twestin uh, on Instagram. What Instagram? Let's hear it. So please let me weed it. So this question comes from Kelly McCardley. Uh, I pronounce the extra vowels. And she says, Obviously, Thanks we're meant to suspend disbelief for alien technology, but with respect to the monolith, are there any stones, natural materials in existence that can act- actually receive and transmit radio waves? Or are we just meant to assume that, despite the etymological uh, implications, that these aren't really made of stone? What sort of materials would they have to be made of? Is it actually possible to transmit signals across such a large swaths of space? Thank you for the question, Kelly. This is a great question. And as chance would have it, I was mm-hmm. recently talking with Sarah about piezoelectric uh, conductors. Have you ever oh. heard of this? Yes. Like, yes, 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 yes. So if you have something that is piezoelectric, basically it, a lot of these can, or can be like crystals, like quartz or something like that. There are certain types of molecules that form solid crystals. And what piezoelectricity is is it converts mechanical energy to electrical energy so Mm -hmm. if you like take uh some this quartz and you push on it or apply some sort of force then it will emit an electric charge and you can use this to send an electrical signal so in theory you could have like a stone which is not does not have to be a living thing could just be a bunch of molecules that are conducting electrical uh charge through this piezoelectricity 
So. Yeah, you actually you're blowing my mind here because I definitely built a piezoelectric radio, um, like many like young hobbyist people, I guess have. I was in the Boy Scouts, so I'm pretty sure how th- that's how this happened. But these are these <laughs> old radios. If you've ever seen them before, which are like basically giant coils of wire around a cardboard tube, and then you use exactly what Sean is saying. Uh, these crystal detectors to move move across the surface. Uh, And that giant coil acts as an antenna. And then that crystal, which then transmits through a capacitor into an earpiece, uh, is able to transmit any of the signals that that antenna is picking up and basically transmits radio waves uh, through the earpiece uh, into your ear. But they're all passive receivers. So like modern radios use amplifiers in order to like actually pick this signal out. But the crystal can pick up on the surface of that antenna any uh, radio stations, basically. That is very hmm. cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's it actually is. pretty pretty fucking rad. I want to build one it's, of those. Yeah, again. it is. They're like super. You should. You should. You should just buy one of these on Amazon. They're super fucking cheap and they're kind of cool. So I believe it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's neat, right? So, so I guess that's an example of like a monolithic substance that has can transduce an electrical signal. So. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, I would say. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, like in those scenarios, we you use like wires in order to actually mm-hmm. like transmit the the signal coming from the crystal, right? Like it's transmitting right. it electrically through a wire. But I mean, I think that's that's pretty fucking good for this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. We could maybe we it can uh, it, it marry is. the two things that are part of, uh, within your question and say there's probably some technology on the inside, but also maybe the monolith is piezoelectric. Who knows? Yeah. Also, how about transmitting that uh, the data across space? Because the answer to that is yes. Yeah. The, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, she also asks, are we able to transmit these types of signals across large swaths of space? And the answer is definitely yes, especially from the moon to Jupiter, because we are still able to communicate with many of the Discovery uh, telescopes that had been sent out from Earth uh, well beyond oh, yeah, our, our sure. solar system. It's, re- it's really just the time delay is the biggest problem. Correct. Yeah, it just like, takes a long time. A yeah. radio signal is going to take forever. Well, not forever. It takes a long time to get to Earth. Yeah. Yeah, measure the number of light years, and that's how long it takes. <laughs> right, exactly. So Cool. We. I feel like we fucking crushed it. Yeah, thanks for your questions. Yeah, appreciate it. If you want to get a question to us, you should find us on Twitter, on Instagram, and was there's one that i'm forgetting also on facebook on twitter and instagram we're at real science cast on facebook there's a search bar so i don't need to teach you how to use that uh also (laughs) if you want to email us we're at real science cast at gmail.com or if you have a cat related question we are real science cats at gmail.com i did not check that email this week and i apologize but you know maybe there'll be one (laughs) next time i check it I'm, I can only hope. What if we open it, Canada? There's like a thousand questions. People are just really into the oh, cat gotta be. Just a Clearly. fount of questions. Yes. Oh my we are God. now making a cats-oriented podcast. All right, hold on. I have to. I'm going to go check it real quick because now I'm nervous. But you guys, you guys do the rest. Yeah, of you them. should check it. Uh, thank right. you to well, Otis McDonald for the use of his song "Third Eye Blimp" as the intro and outro of our podcast. Yes, thank you, Otis. And if you want to help increase the visibility of the show, there are a couple things you can do. One is you can tell a friend, uh, because that is the best and most reliable way to get people to believe that this show is actually good is by word of mouth. <laughs> However, you can also give us a five-star rating on iTunes because that increases our visibility for people that go on iTunes and like, huh, I need a new show. Yeah. What's good. Then Absolutely. You, just, you strap them down and you put headphones on them and you make them listen to us. Force feed them yeah, some real science cast. On their phone. You they just tell them you're like, later. trust me, it's funny. Eventually, you'll you'll like it. Eventually, it'll get there. <laughs> Hell yeah, we're an acquired taste. The other thing that really, 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 really helps us out too, uh, if you follow us on social media and you see us throw up a post, retweet it. That helps us a shitload. Yes, that is true. I also wanted to say, I guess we should say Happy New Year to everybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> So we're recording this ahead of time, but I believe yeah. this is going to come out on New Year's. So yeah, happy either New the first Year. or the second. Happy New Year, guys! Yeah, Thank you Year. for sticking with us. I think it's been like two years or some shit already. It's been like over two years. Jurassic Park was it's been like, like two almost years. two and a half years. Jurassic World was two years. Jesus, yeah, good so, God. We also wanted to mention that we did get some other questions from a friend of the show, Sarah Eisenlar, and we thank you for the questions. We didn't forget about them. 
despite what it may sound like on this episode, but <laughs> we, we will be answering those on our next episode, we which will come out that. in two weeks, and that's where we're going to cover Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yes, we are. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. We also, uh, just announcement for our patron, Jenny Crossan, we looked over your suggestions and we think we're, we're narrowing down the movie, so that episode will be in the future after Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But shout mm-hmm. out to our one of our newest patrons, Jenny Crossan. Yeah, thank you for sending in your suggestions. Uh, and as uh, part of the support that we mentioned earlier, if you want to support us monetarily, hop on to patreon.com, go find Real Science Cast. And if you pledge to give us $2 a month to help make the show better, you can send us an email with three movie suggestions in them, and we will shove you to the front of the line. Um, in front of Jenny Crossan, even, maybe. I don't know. No, um, no, 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 no. We, we, never, we would never do Jenny wrong like that. Well, it's our intent to, to pit our listeners against each other. So, you know, maybe give us $40 and we'll only do your movies. I don't know. Kenan, I thought you hated capitalism. No, not when it benefits our show. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true businessman. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that's all right. right. We have to run away from this conversation because now I've, I've sold myself out. My name is Kenan Smith. <laughs> yeah, you My have. My name is Sean Crossan. I'm your best friend, Michael Pace. And remember, remember, you don't need you don't need good plot to make a movie. Make a movie, but it definitely, but it makes, definitely it makes it better. And less that's, less that's of a waste of my existence. <laughs> is, that, is that the Halo soundtrack? Is that the Halo sound? do just well it's also stanley kubrick and he was like fucking beethoven central on clockwork arms so that's true all right yeah that's the part that we need kenan just be just haunting that's the part that we need i hated that part it went on for so long at the end so for like fucking like 12 minutes (laughs) (laughs) okay all right it was just the whole film yeah uh